before Brady comes, I want to share something really cool that happened. We, we went to a conference this week, and a few of us from the church, and when we got back, my wife went to the post office box for the church and checked the mail, and she found these letters in our post office box. And they were addressed to God, and they had a stamp on them. They were processed through the postal service, addressed to God, and they had a return address on there. And I do not know who this family is, but there's a precious little girl named Vienna, and then apparently there's a little boy named Carter. And I just want to read, for one, Vienna asks for prayer for her mom to be healed. And so I'm just going to, we'll just pray that here in just a second, but I want to also share this one with you. Carter wrote this one. He said, Dear God, I am tired. This is a little boy. I need a break. <laughs> My younger siblings are always being annoying, mean, or bossy. Uh, one of them is always making sound effects, and the other one is always being weird. Please change things. <laughs> Some of you adults have prayed the same prayer for your kids or for your spouse or for distant relatives. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the, the precious hearts of these young children who who say, I just want to, I want to reach out. I want, I want God to hear my prayers, and I'll send him a letter. So, Lord, it's awesome that it came into our hands where we can be agents, we can be ambassadors for God right here on this earth, and we can pray for, for, one, for their mother. Whatever it is that she's going through, God, would you heal her? And would, would this precious little girl who asked for prayer for her mom know that you listen and you answer our prayers? And for this little guy who has annoying siblings, would you <laughs> just comfort him? Uh, give him more patience, maybe, and more love to, to deal with his annoying siblings. And Lord, would you give us the same thing today? Would you give us love for you and love for each other? We thank you for Pastor Brady today. Lord, would you speak to him? And God, would our ears be open and our hearts be ready to receive? We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Honored to be here today. Excited to be here today with y'all. I'm excited about this word because I almost farmed it out. I was, a, I was at a meeting this week. Heard one of my mentors preaching and teaching on a topic. And I thought, I actually talked to him about coming today and sharing about I about gave up my pulpit for the day and I shared that with him and he called me back up and he said well I'm willing to come brother if you want me to but are you sure about this and he called me back a couple hours later and he said I've been praying about this and I just don't really feel a green light from the Lord and I said well you know I get it I actually I know that the Lord has a word he wants me to share there were some things that, that he gave you that kind of tie into what he's given me. And so I'm excited to share them today. And I think that there is always something for everybody here because when the word of God is preached, we always have something that we can receive from it. Amen? But sometimes we come and it's easy to be distracted. Have you ever been guilty of that? I'm going to pray right now. 
pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach your word, the word that you've given me today. I pray you would help my brothers and sisters to receive that word. I pray that you would bless them to have ears to hear the word that you have for them today. And I thank you, Lord, that this word has already impacted me so greatly as I've been studying it and preparing for it. And I thank you for everyone who's here today. I ask you to bless them and fill them up with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Primarily, I want to share today out of the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. I want to talk about primarily the prophet Samuel, but I also want to talk about a few other interesting characters in this chapter and and in this book. I want to talk about Elkanah, who was his father. I want to talk about Hannah, his mother. I want to share a little bit about Eli, who was the main priest and prophet. And Eli was a judge and a prophet at that point in these times, as they say. If you you recall, Moses led the people out of Israel around 1400, 1500 B.C. The people were so great that his father, and I think it's important to understand this background a little bit to appreciate the story. But his father-in-law Jethro is the one who said, hey, man, you need some help. You're trying to lead all these people by yourself, and you need some help. And so he appointed judges. Throughout that, there was about a three, four hundred year period of time where he appointed judges. There were about a dozen of them. One was a woman, by the way, named Deborah, just as a side note. One of the last ones was that Herculean figure we all know as Samson. And then the last one, prior to going into the monarchy, was young Samuel. But it's interesting how this boy got to be in that place. Samuel's mother was a barren woman. We know other stories of barren women. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. We know other st- examples of, listen, every conception is miraculous. But when a woman is barren for many years and doesn't bear children, and then a prophet of the Lord prays over her, and shortly thereafter she has not only one child, but as you read later in the text, she ended up, I believe, with seven of them altogether. Pretty fu- fruitful prayer. This was an interesting time. I think there's a lot you can compare about that time in the history of Israel with where we're at today. Uh, In fact, I'm going to jump back. If you go to the very last sentence in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In these days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
So we're living in a time in world history where if everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, I would consider that a period of lawlessness, wouldn't you? If everyone is saying, well, I think this is okay, and I think this is okay, and this is right, and this is definitely wrong, and this is wrong, and they're really just kind of living out however they want. Uh, In the newspaper this morning, I read about this young 20-year-old gal who got drugged out of her car in a road rage incident. This, This mom and her daughter thought that she got cut off, and they, pull, they pulled up next to her at a stop sign, and they're yelling at her and having this discourse. And they get out of their car, and they drag her out of her window, and they start hurting her bad, doing violence on her. These are the times we live in. And back when young Samuel comes into the scene, that's also the times that they lived in. In fact, I'll get into the text. I'm just trying to summarize. Eli, the prophet, who was supposed to be the high priest, the man of God, they're serving at Shiloh. Shiloh was kind of the place they would, people would go every year to worship. And by the way, it said Elkanah would go every year to worship and sacrifice. So in this time of kind of Wickedness, he was following God, partially. It also said he had two wives, which was not of God. We know a few other folks in the Bible, like Abraham and Jacob. They kind of had that in common with him. And that didn't go so well, did it? God's original plan was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and two or three other women. And in fact, Jesus reminded His people of that in Matthew and a few other places in the New Testament. So read into what you want to about all these folks in the Old Testament having all these wives. God's original intention and purpose was one man and one woman. It caused all this dissension. Uh, Elkanah's second wife, her name, not so good at names, bear with me. Peninnah. Peninnah had some children at that time, and Hannah didn't. And Peninnah, for years, would tease her about it and pester her about it. There was dissension in Elkanah's household. He had a family structure that wasn't biblical. It wasn't by God's design, and consequently it caused stress in the house. And so, but he did have enough in him, have a measure of righteousness that he would go up every year and worship and sacrifice. Maybe there are some of us today that are like that. We're trying to follow God, but we also lack the discipline to really, truly, you know, kind of fully surrender every part of our life to him. 
And there's consequences for that, aren't there? Like if there's areas in your life that you hold out before the Lord or you don't follow his word, there's consequences for that. It gets painful. Amen? Oh my? Help me? Help me? There's consequences. There was a certain man, Elkanah, I'm going to paraphrase, there's a lot of text. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. The man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice. So he's going to church every Sunday. Which, by the way, is he going every Sunday? I don't know if year by year is enough. I don't know if once a year to go and worship is enough. I, I would recommend that you try to show up here every Sunday if you can. But so he's going. He had two, he's going there to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests. Later we learn that they're wicked men. There's people who claim to be of Jesus, who claim to be of the Lord, serving as priests. Back in those days, what did priests do? Well, they sacrificed for the people and they interceded for the people, prayed for the people. What did prophets do? Prophets heard from God and shared God's word. Judges led, ruled, judged, and they led war. Think about Gideon. They led war. So these are kind of key figures here in the hierarchy of the land of Israel. It wasn't called the kingdom of Israel at that time. It wasn't a kingdom until Samuel later anointed King Saul, right? So the first king of Israel was Saul. But how did all this come to be? How did Samuel, this little, how did he get to be in the middle of all this? This key transition, the last real prophet, judge. Now, when I say the last real prophet, that doesn't mean prophecy doesn't still exist. The gift is there. Just like, he, you know, he wasn't the only prophet at that time. Eli was living in sin because he was letting his sons do whatever they wanted. And it says that the visions didn't come very frequently in that time. So they're trying to be led by a man who's supposed to hear from God, but he's not hearing from God for decades. So that doesn't go over very well, does it? If I'm trying to lead you all down this path and I'm listening to God, theocracy at its finest, but I'm not hearing from God, then I could lead, who knows where I'm leading you, right? So he's supposed to be hearing from God, but he's not because his sons are fornicating, his sons are stealing, his sons are threatening and robbing, and these are supposed to be priests. Again, I said it's like today. Because how many of you think that we don't have churches with pastors? Blind guides, they're called in the Bible. They really aren't serving God. It says in the text, they didn't even know God. Read it. I'll read it. I'll read it in a minute. It says in the text that they did not even know God. And they're trying to pretend to be priests. That doesn't go over very well, does it?
So they go up year by year. The two sons of Eli were there. It's interesting he mentions here that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to her sons. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Kind of a cool, think about Elkanah representing Jesus here just a minute. Even when you don't bear fruit, Jesus still loves you. In fact, he favored her. Probably part of the reason there was dissension in that household too. He's got one wife over here who's producing children for him and one wife who is not, and he actually loves more the one that's not even giving him kids. Interesting, isn't it? He loved her, it says. Her rival, she's called his rival, used to provoke her grievously and irritate her. I'm going to skip forward. Elkanah, by the way, says, why are you weeping? Aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? Listen, dads. Moms love their kids. They just do. Amen? I'll stop there. I won't take that any further because that's a different teaching. She was deep, Eli saw her, Eli saw her sitting and deeply distressed and praying, and because he didn't hear anything coming out, he was kind of vexed, he thought she was drunk. He's like, why are you drinking, woman? You know, quit, quit getting drunk. She was deeply disturbed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then she made a vow, and this is critical. Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And let me tell you something. That's a great prayer, but it's easier said than done. My son is over serving in another country right now. And... I live with the understanding, he just went for a year, but I've given him to the Lord all the days of his life. And that adventure he's on, who knows? When God puts a people group on your heart, I mean, maybe he's going to be over there the rest of his life. I just don't know. And that's a lot to think about. That's a lot for my wife to think about. We've prayed, we've dedicated our sons to the Lord since they were born. You know, we have these neat little baby dedications. That's what that's about. And then you pray over and over again, Lord, I dedicate my sons to you. But what does that look like always? When we say, Lord, I entrust them to you. Eli took her to be drunk, and he said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm troubled. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Have you ever poured out your soul before the Lord because you were troubled? 
I know you have. I know there's people in here who've poured out their soul day and night, cried out day and night to the Lord. Rescue him. Rescue her. Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. I don't know if you get this, but Eli blessed her. He prayed for her right then. He blessed her. And it says in due time, I'm assuming that's probably nine, ten months later, says she had a son. She reminded her husband of the commitment she made to the Lord, and it said he agreed with her, which is important. Moms and dads, be in agreement that your lives are committed and dedicated to the Lord. Be in agreement that your children's lives are committed and dedicated to the Lord. Be in agreement on that. She left in faith. Did you get that? Hear this. So he prayed for her, blessed her, and says, The woman went away and ate. I I skipped a portion, but she'd stopped eating. She was grieving so much. Her husband said, Why? You need to eat. Says she went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why is that? Why was her face no longer sad? She got blessed by Eli. By the way, there was a reputation in the land. I mean, she probably knew that Eli's sons were misfit, no good, cowardly, wicked men. And Eli later had to pay for that. But he still had God's call on his life. He still had a measure of that anointing that God had put on him. Have you ever had God use you, even when you didn't probably deserve to be used? You don't have to be perfect to serve God. Sanctification is the, is the, the road that we're, is our aim, and it's the road that we're on. Perfection was Jesus, okay? But we give our life to him. We dedicate our life to him, which that's what salvation is about. Listen, salvation is not about this. Salvation is not about getting on your knees and saying this prayer one time and thinking that those magic words sealed the deal you can't fool the holy spirit you can't fool god your life must bear fruit you must have true belief that is belief that gets up from that prayer and then follows him what it means to give your life to jesus is to follow him and to seek him and try to walk in his ways and obey him doesn't mean you're going to be perfect you won't That's what sanctification is about. We talked about this this morning. This is a rhetorical question, but I will ask you. How much faith do you need to be saved? I don't think a lot. I think a little. If if faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, how much faith do you need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, pick up your cross, walk in his ways, seek his face, But you do need faith. And and, and don't be so hard on each other. 
Man, we're hard on each other. We're so quick to criticize and to judge. I, I want to skip over here a second. Let's go to... Titus, chapter 2. Many profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable and disobedient, unfit for good work. As you teach what accords with sound doctrine, older men be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and steadfastness. Women, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine, but teach what is good. Be self-controlled, self-controlled. We hear that over and over and over again, self-controlled. But how many men in this audience haven't been probably guilty at one time or another or even struggle with today matters of purity and pride? How many women maybe don't struggle with a little bit of slander and gossip and unforgiveness? It's right there. The Bible says it. Oh, gosh. Did I differentiate men from women? Was I supposed to do that? We live in an unruly time in an unruly land where we're not supposed to have differences and rights and wrongs and this and that. Are we? I say we are. I say this takes precedent over any other teaching and doctrine. Don't you? We're different. God love us, but we're different. And men, and listen, as I prepare this teaching, I'm convicted. But men, lay down your pride. Lay down your lust. Women, quit talking bad about other people all the time. Quit finger pointing and backbiting and harboring unforgiveness. Be self-controlled and disciplined. Okay, here it comes, Jimmy. So I have this pal that I ride a mountain bike with. I knew, I knew this was going to come into the sermon. So modern-day mountain bikes, they got 21 gears, 3 and 7, right? Well, I got this buddy, this consistent old mountain goat who... He rides in 2-7 all the time. It doesn't matter whether we're going up a hill, down a hill, on the flats. It doesn't matter. He's strolling along in 2-7. Not me. But if I'm going downhill, I'm grabbing the low gear. If I'm going uphill, I'm grabbing the high gear just so I can keep up with old 2-7. I'll be like, Jimmy, we're going down a hill. I'm grabbing like 3-7. I'm like, Jimmy, where you at? 2-7. We're going up a hill. I'm grabbing like... Two one, and I'm like, Jimmy, where are you at? Two seven. <laughs> okay, God love you. But you know what? Kind of a cool analogy there. Consistency. Consistency. I like to. If Jimmy were standing up beside me, you would understand why I go down the hills faster than he does, and he climbs up them faster than I do. It's called gravity versus lean mean fighting machine right and our, our walks are kind of like that sometimes we're speeding down hills and we're crawling listen the reality is life is always uphill it just is there's a thing called sin and age and challenges and everybody else out there 
We need to consistently grab a gear, find a gear that we like, and some of us are going to roll along in 2-7 and some 3-1 and some of us all the way down to 1-1. One, one. I, I don't care how fast you go, how slow you go, whether you're racing or not. But always move forward in your faith. Always move forward in your faith and be disciplined. So Eli blessed her. She went away. Her face was no longer sad because she knew she'd been prayed for and she had faith. In due time, she conceived and bore a son. And then she talked to Elkanah about it. There in verse 21, Elkanah and all his house came. Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. So they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now, other versions say I have dedicated him to the Lord. I get a kick out of this translation in the ESV version. I have lent him to the Lord. I'm trying to loan my son to the Lord. He's dedicated to the Lord. And I'm like, okay, Lord, but he's on loan. Bring him back home here in a little while. Are you on loan to the Lord? Is your life on loan to the Lord? Are you dedicated to the Lord? If you don't believe, that, just, he did an awesome miracle for Hannah. Would you agree? Raise your hand if you agree. He did an awesome miracle for her. Raise your hand if you have seen him do awesome miracles for you. So she took that miracle. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. She loved the Lord. Before she got that little miracle. But boy was she ever committed even more so after that miracle. And you know what? If you're in this room today and you have children or grandchildren. You've been given that same miracle. And you are to devote them. Dedicate them. And dedicate yourself to the Lord. It's interesting in chapter 2 where it talks about her prayer. And I'm really not going to get into it a lot, but it's interesting how much she understands God. And if you want to understand God better, read 1 Samuel chapter 2. My strength is exalted in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation, Lord. She rejoices. She has joy because of her salvation from God. She is strengthened by God. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. No rock beside you. Don't let arrogance come from your mouth. God is a God of knowledge. 
By him all actions are weighed. He weighs our actions. The feeble can bind on strength and he, he brings the mighty low. Have you ever had him in your, when you were prideful? Have you ever had him bring you low? I have. That is no fun. Boy, that's no fun. That's a whole other sermon there, but man, in my times where I was really struggling with pride, God allowed me to be brought low and to struggle in so many areas of my life, I can't even tell you. And then when I finally got it and I started trying to realize that everything came from the Lord. A rich man can't boast because it says right here that wealth comes from the Lord. A poor man should not despair because it says right here that poverty comes from the Lord. Life and death should not move us because it says life and death comes from the Lord. It is our choice to determine whether we are going to view the events that take place. Think about this for a minute. Everything going on in Mexico right now, like all three of those places that have been hit, I go to and I know people there and I love people there. And there are people still fighting for their lives beneath rubbish. But at that same time, they're crying out to the Lord. I don't pretend to always know God's heart, but sometimes, sometimes, he allows enemies to come into our life so that we can then turn and cry out and seek him and understand him and rely on him even more. And somehow he brings good out of those disasters and out of that mess. And that's as far as I'm going to go here today on that topic. He will guard the feet of the faithful, it says. He will judge the ends of the earth, it says. It is appointed unto man to die, and then comes judgment. It doesn't matter whether men believe it or not. Do you get that? It doesn't matter if you say, well, I believe in Buddha, or I believe in this, or I believe in that. It really doesn't matter. You can't outrun the truth. If God is who he says he is, and he said, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's yours to either receive it or not believe it. But if it's true, one day you will account for that. And so will I. says here, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know God. Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in Israel. I got to open up my other Bible and put on my glasses.
He heard that they were laying with women who came to serve. The priests were fornicating with women who came to serve. Why do you do such things? I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. And here's a warning to ministers of the Lord. Braid, this is a stout warning for us. Let's hear it. This is in verse 25. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? They would not listen to the voice of their father, for it is the will of their father to put them to death. If you serve the Lord and you claim to be a servant of the Lord, you are held to a higher measure of accountability. I believe that. Which is kind of scary sometimes. I don't care what your office is. If you're up here leading worship, or if you're eldering, or preaching, or opening the door. But if you serve in the name of Jesus, get your life right. We all need to. It says here, that Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor. So this little boy is handed over to the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, that took a lot of faith for her. I want to dedicate my son to the Lord but if I knew, like Mike and Cookie, by the way, they're these precious people, and they lead Youth for Christ over in England. They've taken my son under their wing. He lives in their home, and he serves with them and about 30 other young people. But honestly, if I knew they were living like the sons of Eli, you think I would want to hand him over to them? She didn't. I promise you, her faith was not in Eli's wicked sons. Her faith was in the Lord. Her faith was in the Lord. And I'll ask you all something. I talked to the ministers, and now I want to talk to everybody else. Are you here because you're following him? Don't do it. Don't be here because you're following me. Follow Jesus. Let's follow him together. Can we agree on that? Now, he's a heck of a dang good cheerleader, encourager, teacher, shepherder, all those good things. But we're not following him. The Bible says the good shepherd is Jesus. Don't go putting B or me on a pedestal. It does say you should respect the servants of the Lord, and I get that. But Scotty McKinley's known me all my life. He knows how many failures I have. I'll let you down in time. I love the Lord, and I'm trying as good as I can. I'm pedaling that bike hard, Jimmy. I am. But follow first Jesus. Trust first the Lord. That's who your faith is in. Amen? So, it says 
that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Kind of like today. The prophets weren't hearing very much because they were sinning too much. And they weren't close to God. And so the word of the Lord was rare. There was no frequent vision. At that time, it's kind of a parallel thing going on here. Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. So he could not see. He was lying down his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Okay? So at Shiloh they, burnt, Shiloh, they burned this lamp day and night, which represented the Spirit of the Lord. It was dim. It was flickering, just kind of like it is in our land. It's just kind of flickering right now because we don't have enough dedicated folk following and serving and obeying Jesus. But it hadn't gone out, and I don't believe it's gone out here either. Do you? So the lamp hadn't gone out. Then along comes this faithful little boy. Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, was lying down in his own place and the lamp had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli because he thought it was Eli calling him. Which means he literally heard the Lord call. That's very rare in the Bible. Most of the time, like for when I hear from the Lord, I've never heard his audible voice. I hear him in the spirit all the time. I do. And I'm thankful for that. He'll nudge me here and nudge me there. And just like here, he had to do it three times. He has to do that with me. Sometimes he'll put someone that I'm supposed to help or do something for, but then when, he, when it won't go away and he keeps nudging me two or three times later, two or three days later, he's still nudging in my heart, then I know it's him. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call, go back to bed, boy. So he went down, the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli. Here I am. You called me. I did not call my son. Lie down. Samuel did not yet know. Here's old Samuel getting kind of dim in his ways. Imagine 20 years ago he didn't know him the first time. Oh, that's the Lord. And by the way, the more spiritual you become, and the more you follow Jesus and obey him and walk in his ways, you don't have to always hear three or four or five times. You hear the first time and you listen and obey and then you see God do something really awesome and you know it was God. That's how you begin to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Samuel called again the third time and he rose and went to Eli. Here I am, you called me. Then, then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling him. Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he laid down and he did that. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that right there is the beauty of this whole thing. Samuel got pressed into service by his mom. He got pressed into service by his mom. But some point along the way, he 
It happened in his own heart, didn't it? Speak, Lord, I'm hearing you. And I would challenge you tonight, when you lay your head down on your pillow, to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. I want to serve you. My life is yours. It is dedicated to you for the rest of my life. Jesus, whose voice we better weigh in on this, in Matthew 28 said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always. So he's calling us, and he is with us. Do you receive that today? Do you receive that? Do you believe it? It says here, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I believe salvation is for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I want to give you a homework assignment. Is there something right now in your life that you need to say no to? Just one thing. I want you to either write it down on a piece of paper right now or write it on the tablet of your heart. But I am asking you that. And I've asked myself that. I came up with a few things, by the way, just to keep it real. But is there something that you're supposed to say no to going on in your life? And then the other question is, is there something you're supposed to say yes to? Will you, will you make a pact with me that you'll think about that? Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness. To redeem us from lawless ways. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Wow. <clears throat> you are his possession. You are meant to be his. You, like Samuel, are meant to be dedicated and devoted and lent to Jesus. Zealous for good works. Amen. Do you receive that word today? Did God hit you in the chest on anything? He hit me on the chest on a bunch of things as he was kind of penetrating my heart with this word. We, I want to invite you to consider that and to consider those things in your life you're supposed to say no to before you come up and take from the table. Jesus shared this meal with his disciples The bread, of course, represented his body and the wine represented his blood, which he poured out for us. If you want to partake of that, then I would invite you to kind of start coming down the aisles. And Braid said for me to remind you to please come down a row at a time. And if you're supposed to come up here and help serve, could I invite you to do that? 
And while you all are doing that, I want to pray, okay? Actually, I'm going to ask Pastor B to pray. Would you pray, Pastor B? So, Father, we ask you to, to give us clean hands and a pure heart and forgive us for lifting up our souls to anything else other than you and so that when we come, we will be clean to eat at your table, receive the sacrifice that you made for us so long ago. We thank you for your word, and it says that when we do this, we remember Jesus, what it is that you've done, and we do this till the day that you return. And so we walk in obedience to your word today. Just like Brady was saying, help us say no to the things we need to say no to, yes to the things we need to say yes to. So bless your people, your children, those that you long to possess, long to hold in your hands. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you would stand and... Starting with the first row, one at a time, you'll go to the end. If you have an offering to give today and your attendance sheets today, place those in the basket right there with Steve. And then come, we have two lines. Jay, why don't you come forward a little bit? So two different lines that you can go to. And then hold on to your elements until it's time, and Brady will lead us through receiving the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 